Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Welcome back to Truck Tech, everyone. This week, we're coming to you from Belle Isle, outside Detroit in Michigan. We had an opportunity to catch up with, uh, with Tim Reeser, who is the co-founder and CEO of Lightning E-Motors, a fascinating company focused, we realized, on an area that we don't always write about here, which is school buses. We had electrification of school buses, and it's a fascinating story. Take a look. Well, I'm here with Tim Reeser, the CEO and co-founder, is that correct? About right. Of the company, Nike E-Goaters. Yeah, that's a touch of like, like this. But originally, we were so we started out as Lightning Hybrids, uh, evolved to Lightning Systems, and then when we went public, became Lightning E-Motors. Okay, it's like you're not really new. You've been around since those late what late 2008. So I I co-founded the company in 2008, so we've been around a while. We started as a hydraulic hybrid company, and then uh, in 2017, pivoted entirely EB. But one of the that whole flight, we were commercial vehicles. Primarily focused on medium duty shuttle, uh, school buses, and vans. And so, so, even though we we transitioned from a, a uh, product standpoint, the markets we've been in have been the same since 2008. So, giving us a lot of heads up and hoes. Well, Linus Buffalo back here, out of Colorado, right? Uh, and like you come out of me, you worked a number of these startup areas out of I did. Yeah. So, actually, Ram. So, Colorado State University Ram, I came out of my spot. No, it's all good. We, we are very close to see you also. So, a lot of our employees are. Our Buffaloes, we have an ongoing, you know, CU versus CSU internally, but we've got a great group of staff. But a lot of our engineering team either comes from Colorado State University or University of Colorado or Colorado School of Mines or in that. So great, great location in Colorado for talent. Yeah. And I've visited in also. I've pretty much what you talking about. This is uh, this is interesting because a lot of what we do obviously covers the, the heavy charge, but you know, a lot of my uh, a lot of shows, a lot of what we like in the views that are uh still covers heavy charge. So being here in, in Detroit on Belle Isle, where we are, and this is a, a roadway island within East City, and uh, this opportunity to sort of get caught up in your business. I mean, uh, you know, you have said that you've got your niche, and your niche really is it's helping freight boys. I'm worried a lot about, but it's school buses, so talk about it. Yeah, so we, we love school buses. We also love shuttle buses. Um, but it's important to note a couple things. One of them is they are different. And when you think about electrification, Electrification requires differences, meaning it used to be when you build, and I think Freightways, you kind of see this, when you bought a, a 40, 450 cutaway, Ford could sell that to a school bus manufacturer. They could sell it to an ambulance manufacturer. They could sell it to a uh, truck manufacturer. And all of those worked with the same cutaway. When you go to electrification, that isn't true anymore. In an electrification world, that shuttle bus manufacturer needs different space under the, the vehicle. So where your battery placement goes is different, needs different wire harness, needs different software. So the same thing with a school bus, the same thing with an ambulance. So our focus is when you get into this medium duty space in electrification, we have become very good at managing all of this subtle uh, customization that is required in a way that's cost effective and innovative for customers. And that's what we do in where our space is. 
but it's important to separate that because it, you know I love Freightways and what you guys are doing, but I hear a lot of people at times say, hey, because a class eight truck is really hard for electrification, they, they package it all together and say all trucks are the same, electrification is never going to work, or charging is really hard, or energy is really required. And I think it's important for all of us to understand that electrification, the segmentation is key and critical. Um, when you look at a school bus, one of the beauties is they drive on average 38 miles in the morning, 38 miles in the afternoon. They aren't trying to drive like an over-the-road truck that's trying to go 500 miles, charge 30 minutes, drive 500 miles, drive 30 minutes. It's a totally different use case. The application is totally different. And you also think about a few other nuances to the application. Those school buses are parked during most energy intense hours. So all summer long, most of these school buses are parked right when all the utility companies would love to have some extra energy. So we can take an electric school bus, plug it back into the grid and provide peak peak power to these utility companies during the summertime. And you're not paying for it. And, and I'm not paying for it because I charge them in, the, in the, the nighttime when it's cheap and I discharge them during the day. Same thing if you look at even during the fall and springtime, these school buses are parked during peak times. So really unique opportunity for electrification school buses, but also they charge at depots. I don't have to have chargers along every highway in the United States yet. So the charging depot requirement is easy. The amount of charging is easy. I don't need megawatt chargers for these school buses. I can charge them on level two. This is the same as a dryer warrant. So many of the complexities that exist today in electrification of a class eight truck do not exist for a school bus, do not exist even for a shuttle bus or for an urban work truck. So it's important to segment these markets. And I think as, as freight waves continues to evolve, I think that'll be a big part of what you guys look at is how are these markets different in segmented because it's interesting. And it's funny because I wrote about school buses as recently as last week, um, a rarity for me. But we talked about the fact that I think the number we used to logger key in thousand keys of a 500,000, which is a distinction without to guess. Yeah. Right. Um, but this is a fertile market. You said 80% of your business, I believe, is, is school buses. And that's kind of where you expect to stack. Yeah, school buses, and I'll segment it a bit, shuttle buses also. So we use the same powertrain, but with some nuances in terms of and some subtleties on both the wire harnessing software, because then, the, for example, the shuttle bus business, some of our shuttle buses, business, like Ace Parking in San Diego, they'll drive 200 miles a day and they run three shifts. So different from the schools where it's just 38 miles in the morning, 38 miles in the afternoon. So we need to think about them differently in terms of charging and charging infrastructure and DC fast charging. Because they do need EC fast charging for those those vehicles, whereas the school buses do not. So there is some subtleties in the total ecosystem, but the powertrain we build is very similar. So we look at that market and that combined us to where 80% of our business today. The trucks are only 20% of our business. Um, the other thing is the incentives packages right now are pretty focused on school buses and shuttle buses. So I just bring that up. I mean, there is money. It may not be enough money. Uh, you know, uh, I think uh, so. West. Westfall is the one of the big school bus companies. He said, please say we need more money. And but there is. So there's a there's HFIP money, there's IRA money, there is EPA money. money. A lot of money. EPA yeah. money, New Jersey money, New York money, um, even Texas money now. So there is, yeah. And and school districts don't have that. We know that. They they have a hard time, you know, with the doors open sometimes. So the idea of being able to to get into a bus that you know, obviously is gonna cost a way to sit until. Yeah, yeah but the cost today and the current volume is about double. It's about yeah. twice as much to buy an electric school bus versus a gasoline school bus, but 80% lower offering costs. So once they get in it, they're far better off because to your point, they're budget constrained. 
they're not only budget constrained capital-wise getting the bus, they're budget constrained ongoing. If we can save them money by them not having to buy gasoline anymore or diesel, by them not having to do oil changes, by them not having to do brake changes as much, that, you know, again, that's a long-term benefit. Right. Is that maintenance shop that might have been heavily populated as just a few people who yes. learn how to get it's a different lighter. voltage? Exactly. We are standing in front of uh, Forest Trailer, your charging trailer. I'd like to just take a little walk with you. Sir, have you show us a little bit of what this is and and how it works. I mean, I see a lot of tables and uh, maybe you can kind of talk us through what you have uh, created. Certainly. So this came from a customer demand. We had a, a variety of customers come to us and said, um, including DHL, we they said we would buy more vehicles except the chargers uh, that we bought from you were waiting on a permit. And in Southern California, where they wanted to put them, it was a two-year wait for the permit. And then a year after that, before they could get the chargers installed, the DC fast charge installed. So they said, Tim, until we get those chargers, we can't buy more vans. I said, well, I'd like to solve that problem because I'd like to sell you more vans. And they weren't the only ones who brought up this challenge of charging and charging infrastructure. So we developed this with that use case in mind. As we've gone on, there's a lot of other use cases. So you know, people at stadiums have come to us and said, hey, you know, when we've got a big event, we'd like to be able to charge electric cars. And and uh, other people at, at, you know, racetracks have said, hey, we've got Tesla races going on or electric vehicle races. We'd like to be able to charge our electric vehicles. So we found lots of other use cases besides our core customers who need to solve a temporary charging issue. So what this trailer does is uh, it will charge four electric vehicles simultaneously. Um, it's got battery storage on on site to be able to not be plugged into anything and charge four uh, electric vehicles uh, simultaneously, fully charged. But you also have the choice of plugging this in. So this this does not make energy. It's an energy storage device and an energy dispensing device. So the energy gets into this device either by charging it on a level two. So the neat part is, let's say this is sitting in your parking lot and you happen to have a welding plug or a plug for a trailer out there, a level two or what looks like a dryer plug or a welding plug, you can plug this into that dryer plug and it will charge this all day long and give you enough charge in one day to discharge four vehicles. Your other choice is to take this to a DC fast charger, either public or private, and charge it in about 45, well, it's about a little over an hour to charge this from a DC charging component. And then you've got, again, enough energy to go charge four vehicles DC fast charge. You only have a handful right now. Is this a build-to-order thing for you? I mean, at, at the moment it is, but as we see, we're starting to see some big customers talk about wanting 20 or 50 of them. So you start to you think about some of the rental car companies who are saying, hey, you know, our rental car places move around a lot. We've got to be able to charge our Tesla rental cars or other rental cars. We're starting to see some of those folks talk about 20 or 50 of them at a time. So we'll, we'll build them to spec as we see some of the large orders. But at the moment, as we get started and test the market, we're build-to-order. Yeah, gotcha. You know, it's interesting. Everybody that comes on the show right now, and it's a new of the year, new to start. I think you're not nearly to start. I was like, kind coon. And you were a SPAC, and de-SPACing has not worked out well for a lot of people. You you said, you told a bunch of folks this morning, I'll take the tough questions. I live with the tough questions. So here they come. You don't have a ton of money. You do have some opportunity. I think he said this way. This is fascinating. DP's one of your big investors. They are. DP's very active right now with a lot of things. In fact, I sort of saw them as, you know, a, a potential for uh, a, a company. You're not crazy about being that's not bad. But for Nikola, they didn't work out that way. But they did get Travel Center America. They did get, I cannot remember right now, the name of the company that became BP Coles, right? right? Um, 
So, you know, if this happens, do you make a less good? Yes. BP? Yes. So we, our partnership with BP is deep in a couple of ways. They love this product, as you can imagine. They want to be big in fleet charging as well as on-the-go charging, which is why they bought Travel America. Um, so BP has been a good partner. They've been a partner with us since 2014. So they've been a long-term partner, a long-term investor. They invested when we went public as part of the, the pipe for the SPAC but it'd been a, a venture investor even before that. So we continue to be good partners and, and you know, believe they are a big part to our story. Um, but it, you know, as well as other strategics, it'll be really interesting as you look out and say, how's the ecosystem going to develop in terms of both the capitalization? Um, it's clearly different today than it was, you know, two years ago, there was plenty of public money and we all leveraged that and made a lot of investments with that public money. But now that, that there's less public money available, all of us are looking at, you know, the strategic partnerships in our case, like BP and others. Uh, we're also looking at how do you get to sustainability yourself? So how do you get to cash flow yourself faster? So then, you know, you don't, you don't have to rely on other people's money as long. And so many of us have accelerated our plans to get the cash flow break even, um, you know, really tighten the belt in terms of expenses. But also, yes, we look a lot to the strategic partnerships and say, how can we benefit them? How can we make a compelling case to them where we've got a great product they need? Um, that helps them accelerate their business, helps them accelerate their their lead into ESG um, and and what they're doing, but also is good for us. Yeah, I, it, I also uh, recognize as to you that this is a very crowded class, uh, class four, maybe a little less. Class five is going to be really crowded, but four, five, six, it it is a, a an area that you know you work with General Motors, you know, to to get the uh, the 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 class four uh, chassis you know, an Avastar product that they make for GM and all that. Yep. Uh, so you've got that. And, uh, you know, ideally, you're also working on your own chassis. We just talk about that for just a minute. Yeah, so a couple advantages to our own chassis is we looked out. Number one, we want to control our destiny. We don't always control how much volume we can get from GM or Ford. We don't always control the, the vehicle we get. Um, and as I talked about, we've spent a lot of money and investment with GM to meet their requirements. Um, some of which, uh, you know, were, were uh, great investments, some of which took a long time and maybe we didn't get as much out of those investments to comply with GM requirements. So we want to be an AN company, meaning in addition to offering a great legacy platform like the GM and like the Fords we do, we also want our own platform. And there's two key things we get from our own platform. One of them is we control supply and availability, but two, we control what I'll call the battery equation that we don't control in these vehicles. The battery equation is two-part in commercial vehicles. It's how much weight GBWR can we support for a given class, and it's also how much space do we have for the batteries. Both of those, when we do our e-chassis, we have a lot more control over both those components. Now, we still don't have infinite. And because we're playing commercial vehicles, there is a GBWR limit. That GBWR in a class four is 16,000 pounds. That's the most you can do in class four, and that defines what kind of drivers, what kind of DOT certification you have, regulatory, insurance, all of that. So there's not a lot of room. And this is where, very different from passenger vehicles. In a passenger vehicle, I have a Hummer EV, and they put a huge battery in it, and they didn't worry about weight. It's a passenger vehicle. They weren't worried about it. When you get to these commercial vehicles, every, every pound of battery we put in, there's a pound less of payload, whether it's a passenger or a, or a box that you can put in that vehicle. So we have to be very conscious of that. With an e-chassis, we can drive to the top of the GBW range. We control that. So our e-chassis will be close to 16,000 pounds gross vehicle weight, which is the top of class four. That GM product is only 14,350. 
the E450 is not much more than that. So we pick up an extra 15 to 1700 pounds that we can use for more battery, more range, more payload. And that's big in this commercial vehicle. So by being able to control where we put the batteries, how much battery we, we put in there, um, we, we think is compelling. But again, some of these upfitters, it's important to know some of these upfitters made huge investments in a GM platform. That's not going away. So we're going to continue to offer the GM platform. We made a significant investment in that and we're committed to it. Uh, you've used a term, which I guess I'll repeat here, vandalized. You had an issue with, uh, with Romeo Power, which is now part of Nikola, about batteries, but you also used a lot of people's batteries. You said you're battery agnostics. Talk about who you are using. You mentioned Proterra, of course. Uh, who else are you using? And also chemistry. We have half chemistry lesson for the audience. But I do think it'd be great if you would talk about, you know, LSP, if that's where you're going and, and that sort of thing. So today we use Proterra, which is a, a nickel-based uh, solution, you know, where Tesla's been, the majority of what's been out in cars to date have been a, an NMC or NCA and a nickel-based solution. And then you have CATL, which is a uh, lithium iron phosphate-based solution, two different chemistry categories I put in. As you point out, there's subcategories and lots of complexity there. But the two categories today have differentiated the fact that because nickel got so expensive, anything that was nickel-based last year, battery costs did the reverse of what they've been doing for 10 years. They went up last year instead of down because nickel shot up a ridiculous amount of money last year. And, and so did many of the other commodities, aluminum, et cetera, that were in an NCA battery. So are NMC battery, the one. So consequently, there's been a big move towards LFP because we don't have nickel. And so LFP batteries have continued to drop in price when NMC and NCA batteries have gone up in price. So that's caused people like Tesla to talk about their CATL partnership, Ford to talk about their CATL partnership, Lightning to talk about our CATL partnership because it is a cheaper battery, less expensive. Important to note today though, many of our customers require Buy America. If you're a federal transit agency and you want FTA money, and we want you to have FTA money, you have to have Buy America. You're not going to get Buy America with a CATL battery. So we have to have some options in our battery portfolio and our school bus and our transit buses have Proterra batteries because they do get a Buy America stand. Sure. So they're, they are more expensive though. They're, they're nickel-based batteries. They're more expensive, but a high quality battery. We like what's in there. We're constantly looking at other batteries, you know, there's solid state on the horizon and we're testing those. There is the next generation of LFP that includes some other components that we're testing those. We're testing batteries from LNE. We're testing batteries from uh, many different suppliers that we, we like and believe they can be competitive to us. We want to have the latest batteries. We want to have a very reliable battery. We also want a cost-effective battery and a Buy America battery. So all of those are things we're constantly playing in to, to find the right solution. And for us, we think it's going to be more than one. Right. We don't think we're going to be able to go with one battery. So, okay. So the batteries then are really, you know, you've got uh, your choice really of, of what to do, whether, you know, I, I mean, LSP is getting a lot of attention also because of, uh, you know, sort of cycle time and, and, and stability and safety from a heating perspective. Um, you've got right out here in Michigan, you've got a company now looking on and yeah, 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 love Oedi. Love the McChief's doing a great job. Very cloudy. In, in any case, um, let's talk a little bit more about kind of the near chart. How many employees today? And have you had to take some people out and that sort of thing? Have you had to? Yeah, so we we have about 250 people today. We had 320 at the beginning of the year. So we have leaned out the company. Again, when Papo got very constrained, we said we've got to make sure we we, we get to the finish line. We know we've got a great product. We know we have great markets. We know we've got great niches. So we believe in the long term, but obviously everybody's got to make it to long term. We got to get to profitability. So we leaned out the company a bit, bit at the beginning of the year. Um, 
still have a great, you know, base engineering staff. Um, as a public company, there's certain things you still have to do that, are, you know, cost money. So can't, you know, th- there's a limit to how far you can lean out the company and still, still really be viable. But yes, we, we took some, some tough decisions at the beginning of the year. You know, I ask this sometimes and, and usually people are pretty honest. You seem to be very honest about everything. If you had to do the SPAC thing over again, would you have done it? Yes. Um, I do it differently. <laughs> there were certain things, obviously. So what you'll hear one of my mantras is hindsight is not 2020. You can't actually, I think those of us who grew up, I think you did as well as me, grew up in the back to the future era. You, you remember they, they kind of, you know, that movie first exploited this idea that you change a couple things in the past, other unintended consequences might occur. And, and I think that's true. So I don't go back and look about it and say, oh, you know, if I'd done it differently, the, the results would have been different because we don't really know. But there's certainly certain things that I learned the hard way that I'm like, yeah, I would definitely look at it differently or do some things differently. But at the time, we needed to scale. We needed a couple hundred million dollars to scale. Um, the we were in COVID. The markets were very difficult, and the commercial, the, the capital markets were willing to give us a great valuation, and we were able to get 230 million dollars to scale. So we couldn't have done it any other way. I don't regret that. Uh, certainly, there's you know where we're at today is tough as a as a part of the market. The market has beat all of us up, and we're part of that. I think that you know in many cases because of our timing, we've been beat up more than others. But the timing is not something we have control over. So. You take the good with the bad, and uh, I'm happy we did it. Where we are in the future is hard to tell. We're going to continue to be opportunistic and find the best thing for the company, the best thing for our investors and shareholders, the best thing for our customers. You, uh, you just did some some leveraged kind of work, you know, to obviously to help us scale. Uh, I don't know how much if you did go to the whole 50 million that you have have it yet, have it yet. No. But if you did, would that would that be enough? Or are there are there other levers you could pull? You also all these. Look at all the levers. So we need a little more than 50 million to get there, but not a lot. So we're in that same kind of realm. Um, so we're talking to all of our current strategic investors. We're talking to uh, really looking at, you know, how can we leverage a variety of other financing? A big part of the money we need is in working capital. So a lot of the R&D is done. You can look at this product. This is ready to go. We're manufacturing today. We built the plant. We built the manufacturing. We built the products. So a lot of the big CapEx investment is done. I don't have a lot of that in front of me. What I would put of me is there's a lot of uh, working capital at the moment because grants often don't pay up front. Customers often don't pay up front. I got to buy batteries up front. And so there's a big working capital that anybody in a new company kind of deals with. I've got $50 million in inventory at the moment because I had to pre-buy batteries in order to be in a position to manufacture. So that working capital is the big challenge. There's there's a little more flexibility to handle working capital than there is R&D. So we, we, we're exploring all the avenues. I'm confident we'll find them. Uh, but it's definitely harder than it was a year ago or two years ago. And there will be some of our peers who don't make it. Sam, thank you so much. Really Great like to have you like on the Enjoy it. Uh, wish you all the best, both with the Charger and with the buses and with the shenanigans. And hopefully we get to do this more often. Yeah. Really enjoy it. It's a uh, lot of you. Love your shirt. Love your check. Open up. Excellent. Thank you. Well, folks, thanks for being here this week. We hope you enjoyed the interview with Tim Reeser. We'll see you next time on Truck Tech. 